Hey everyone and welcome to another episode of Guidelines. This is episode number 26 and hope you're enjoying this process and taking a lot from the different episodes that we've put out there and the conversations more recently that that we're going through. And I'm really excited today. I'm going to bring on Amy Norton and can't wait to get into a conversation with her. Uh, and every once in a while, as you know, I like to throw in just a little tip or a little like thing that I've found helpful. Um, and one of the things that came to mind is uh, hopefully all of you, like if you do a core group or coaching uh, session or something like that, you will take notes. Um, if you're not, you uh, I don't know how you keep track of what you do because I can't tell you the number of times. I've gotten ready to go into a presentation or a group or something like that. And it's like, oh my gosh, I completely forgot what we did last time. And I'm so glad that I put down detailed notes. So if you don't do that, that is a really good practice uh, to get into. But here's a little addition that I like to add. So um, the what I'll do is I'll do it often in a spreadsheet and then I will open a tab that includes stories. So if a story, let's say, surfaces during a core group, that way I can capture it. So for example, uh, I've been in groups before where someone will just offhandedly say like, ever since we started doing this, you know, this doesn't happen. Like whatever, we don't have as many return sales or we, you know, we're able to avoid these kinds of uh, inefficiencies. And I always want to make sure to harvest those and put them in a separate tab with my notes with that client and just really, really helpful to include in like annual reports if you do those for clients um, and just to remind them of the value that, that, that they're gaining from this process. So, okay. So just a, a little tip to uh, level up your notes and you may have other ways of doing that, but just want to encourage you to pay attention when clients start talking about the benefits that they're gaining because that's why we're there. So with that, um, let's jump into this episode. Uh, Amy, thanks for being here. Amy Norton is joining us from Nashville and amazing town that uh, I can't wait to get back to. So Amy, welcome to Guidelines. So glad to be here, Andrew. Thanks for having me. And I, I'm hoping you all will come visit us in Nashville. We've got new music that we're following based on your recommendations. <laughs> in fact, next week we're going to go here. I think David Ramirez. Okay. Well, funny. Um, David Ramirez is incredible. And and that's who... So Jeremy mm-hmm. went and saw him in Oklahoma City. And I, I I hope that your David Ramirez show will be less eventful than his. What did they have? Two, t- two tornadoes that were like with, within a mile of the venue? <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> that's crazy. That's crazy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But I'm jealous. Um, yeah. Every time I th- like, you know... I'll hear of a band and it's like, well, I know they're not coming through Eugene. So I'll, I'll, I'll look and yep, of course they're coming through Nashville. So you're you're helping me level up on my music, my musician knowledge. So well, it's good. I take strange delight in if you could like amplify my FOMO, like I'd love to just vicariously 
miss out through your enjoyment of David, David Ramirez. So. I'll send you lots of pictures and make you insanely jealous. How about that? Dude, oh, I would love that. <laughs> I would love that. Yeah. Let's awesome. do that. <laughs> um, yeah. So you've and how long have you been in Nashville? I don't even, I don't think I know. 29 years. Long time. Long enough that people think I'm from here. I don't know how it is in Oregon, but in the South, people will say, where are you from? And it means where are you born? And you can live someplace a really long time, but not be from there. But when people say, are you from Nashville? I take that as a compliment. Mm, okay. Now where, okay, let me make sure I get the vernacular right. Where are you from? <laughs> that was good. You almost okay. had a, a Southern lilt to it. That's legit. <laughs> okay, I'll um, try it. I'm from Amory, Mississippi, a really small town in North Mississippi, about four hours from here. That's right. Okay. Now I'm remembering. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So let's, I would love to get an on-ramp to Giant. You have an, like an interesting you know, background that, that I don't think a lot of people know about. So I'd love to hear, hear a little bit about that. Yeah. 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 So I've been doing this about eight or nine years. I was early adopter. And um, came to the second X Core that Giant ever hosted back in 2014, I think. And I was a client. And at the time, I was the managing editor for a digital publication based here in Nashville. It was an entrepreneurial startup. And I was helping the company grow. And we were opening new markets in southern cities. And I had spent a lot of my time coaching in this work unbeknownst to me, that's what I was doing. I was spending a lot of time managing the editorial side of things, but we were hiring women out of quote unquote mom retirement. And I found myself spending a lot of time helping them have security and confidence and remembering the things that they were really good at. And I could see it, but they couldn't always see it. And that was really energizing to me. And a friend invited me to go to Atlanta to experience XCore. They had known Steve for a long time. And Steve had called our friend here and said, I've partnered up with this guy named Jeremy and we've started this leader development company. You, you need to bring the leaders. It was a, the pre, head priest at our church, actually. We had a relationship with Steve in his old life. And he said, you need to come. So we loaded up a car full of people and headed off to Atlanta. And I sat through the first session and had this, I can only call it a, a download of seeing my future with desire to, to do what I was doing with the writers I was supporting. And I just went up to Steve and Jeremy and said, put me in. I don't know how to do what you're doing, but I, this is something I've got to be a part of. So that was the beginning. Pretty risky. Yeah. Like given <laughs> what you know about me, right? <laughs> yeah. yeah. What, what do you attribute that to? I, I think I'm an anomaly. I'm a nurture guardian for those of you who don't know. Um, and pioneer, creative pioneer, those are my bottom two voices. So that sounds maybe um, incongruent that I would dive into entrepreneurial opportunity, but I have always been probably overachievement is uh, having too high standards is probably part of what's underneath all that. When I see problems, I want to find solution. And when I see people hurting, I want to help them unlock and get beyond that. And this felt like a way to do something that was fundamentally energizing about my old job. Um, I also have been married to an entrepreneur and have had several experiences where I I had my own writing business. So I think um, it's a it's an odd thing to have a nurture guardian really want to jump into something that's early adoption. But that that's 
That's the only thing I can account for it. Mm. Nurture. It's nurture, not nature. That's what I was wondering where it came from. Like where, where was the contagion, you know, how did yeah. it enter? Um, and, and you would attribute it in part to your husband. Yeah. And I, if I think about it, Andrew, my whole entire life, I have found myself in situations where I was on the leading edge of something and didn't have a framework or a script, but I just had to figure it out. So I can think about family dynamics in that regard. I can think about what school was for me and almost every job I've ever had. I've been put in my discomfort zone and had to sort something out. So it's just been a a theme that has repeated and I've realized it's actually an energizing thing for me as opposed to a draining thing. Hmm. Yeah. And it's interesting. I mean, you add up your top two voices and you have like 73% of the population can relate to you. Mm -hmm. Uh, so what a great example to, to take from, you know, in terms of your own story and that ability to work on those outer edges, even though it does feel riskier, um, innovative or you know um, so yeah that's that's great um i'm struck by something you said about noticing that you were doing kind of doing coaching and consulting all along but didn't know it it sounds like you something about maybe the x core process highlighted some unconscious competence that became conscious is that right i think so the thing that it highlighted early was that I'm a necessary piece of the puzzle, not an optional piece. I think that I had felt I was in a, an environment where I did not feel valued what I brought, the contribution, my secret sauce, that it didn't feel particularly welcome and valued, the nurturing guardian voice in me. Um, so when I landed in the best fit or voices session or gears or whatever that first one was, I just remember having this sense that I belong and I there there's stuff about me that is fundamentally necessary, not a nice extra. And that was very galvanizing for me. And I wanted to build on that. And I, I saw other people wired like me who also struggled with this. Do I matter? Is what I bring necessary or helpful? And I think it was just the combination of all those things that was a, a great motivator for me. Mm. Yeah. And actually, as you're talking about that, l let's be clear what happened there. Uh, the people around you didn't value you, but what I'm hearing is you valued you in a way. Is that right? I, I don't think I valued me either. You know, it's the influence model is, or not influence model, the uh, five circles of influence is really true. I, that the center circle, I, I did not value myself. I think I dominated myself. So the process of learning our foundational tools, support challenge matrix was revelatory to me. And I wanted to be somebody who empowered others, but it really didn't happen until I freed myself from, you know, the tyranny of not good enough. Yeah, that's interesting. And yet what I'm hearing is you saw value in what you brought to other people, something. Yeah. Something motivated you to go up to Steve and Jeremy and say, I'm in. Mm -hmm. Because if you were self-deprecating or like, I, have, I don't really have anything to offer. I'm not really like, it wasn't just, I mean, part of it was maybe an act of desperation. You saw something in them 
and what what life could look like doing mm-hmm. this kind of work. Mm-hmm. But I guess what I'm after is that it it just I'm I'm reading between the lines that you sense like I've got some chops here somewhere. I may not value them as much as as I should, and other people clearly don't. But you, or maybe you didn't see anything in in yourself in terms of what you could bring. I think it was unarticulated. I think it was definitely unconscious or in the subconscious. I have always been somebody people would trust with important information from the time I was a small child. And the women that I was helping gain confidence in their new role in our publication world, they would call me at odd times to say, can I, can I run something by you? Or I was thinking about what you told me the other day and I gave it a try. So there, there definitely was some feedback to support what was a, a, a deep feeling that I, I had something to offer there. So I think you're right. I think you're right. Yeah. I think you, you have this, this ability to create gravity, like in a really powerful way. And I think meaning <laughs> people roll downhill to you. It's like, you know what I mean? Like you create this gravity of safety and trust, um, that, that uh, it, it's it's sort of irrefutable and irresistible. So Thank I can you. I can see that and what you bring to the people around you. Um, you know, I'm thinking about conversations you and I have had and others, and I think one thing that nurturers are sometimes is disarming when it comes to challenge. There have been some moments when you've commented on questions that I've asked that have challenged you to think in a different way. So that's that's been an important revelation for me too, to realize because I, I think people who are on the relationship side of the five voices dynamics may question how they bring challenge and going through this whole journey of learning about myself, I realized I have been bringing challenge and sometimes I definitely was hinting at it, but it's helped me um, leverage something that's always been an instinct to ask really good questions because sometimes those really are challenging. Absolutely. I can't even picture you because I've only known you in Giant, but I can't picture you outside the pocket because when I see you in the pocket, you bring so much support and challenge um, in a way that that really does call people to a, a level of honesty that they may not have had otherwise. Well, thank you. Definitely um, something I've had to practice. <laughs> well, I mean, part of what I'm, what I'm, I, I think obviously this is your story and it's your unique story, but what I'm hearing is something that a lot of people can recognize is like, you know, whatever you could be, you could have spent your life in tech or somewhere else, um, different industry, but you're always, it's like, what's that thing you cannot stop doing in relation to other people? Mm-hmm. And that's super important to pay attention to. I think in some ways I'm coming full circle. I keep having flashbacks to this organization that I directed like 20 years ago. And in a way I'm coming back into that. And I'm like, that's actually some unconscious competence that I'm super excited to tap back into. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, I just want to say to everybody, you know, to be on the lookout for what you bring to the world because it it is going to come out it is going to to show up and and you can't not do it that's that unconscious competence then it's just a matter of figuring out how do you bring that to giant on behalf of other people yeah and i i was thinking about our conversation today and how you are helping equip our wonderful guide population and 
one of the things that was a struggle for me early on was doubting my instincts and not trusting what I do well and not necessarily having a vocabulary for it, but not really trusting it. I, I felt like I needed to do it the way other people did it. And what I realized is that I, I am able to discern things. I see pain. I, I can see something in somebody else or in a situation in a business where they're having some struggles. And I recognize now that that is a, maybe a gift of discernment, if that's the right word. And I did not trust that instinct early on. I've always had it, but I, I felt early on that I, I needed to do things the way other people did it. it. It would not be successful if I didn't, if I, if I didn't do it the way other people did it. So I, I think it's really important to trust those instincts because your gut never betrays you. If it's, if you are coming from a, this is who I really am fundamentally, your gut is never going to betray you, I don't think. Okay, let's enter into attention here because on the one hand, there's wisdom in imitating before you innovate. Mm -hmm. And I, I've talked about how that was my first year. I just, that was my mantra. Just in, imitate, don't innovate. I, I, and I would just put myself in shackles almost like do not try to improvise as much as I wanted to. Mm -hmm. um, but then what you're saying could sound in direct conflict to that, which is trusting that instinct trusting and le letting that instinct lead you in a more authentic way does that do you see the tension when do you how did you how did you navigate that process from imitation to like 100 percent amy well I, th I think you have to consider who you are fundamentally and who i am fundamentally your results focused creative pioneer pioneer creative um so you're naturally going to go to that let me make it better the way I understand it. And disciplining your tendency to innovate was your path that you needed to follow. Um, I, I definitely am a rule follower. I'm, I'm going to imitate what I'm being shown and taught to a fault. So there, there have been moments where I had a gut instinct and didn't pay attention to it, and it bit me. Okay, so what did you do? Like... How did you how did you navigate that? How did you get through that? I remember years ago, um, I do a lot of work with the Air Force and I was in early stages of building some relational capital and I didn't feel like I by myself could have the conversation. And I took Mike Opadol with me, who I adore. And we had I can't remember if it was in person or Zoom, but we had a, an important conversation with some leaders to try to take a, an idea from concept to let's let's put something together. And in the meeting, he th there was, you know, somebody's going to sort of lead the conversation. And there was a moment where I could have picked up the thread or, or he could have. And I had a feeling that I needed to and I didn't. And he drove the conversation. It was great. There was nothing wrong with the conversation. But I was the one that had the primary relationship with those people. And I was the one who should have kept the conversation going the way my instinct told me. And we ended up getting to do work down the road, but me not paying attention to an instinct delayed the process. It took longer to close some gaps, um, having somebody else who didn't have relational capital leading the conversation. I don't know if that makes sense. Yeah. Do you have a sense of like what inhibition cropped up there? 
oh, total, I don't know enough to take this conversation to the next place. It was total not trusting myself, doubt, all that, all that self-preservation stuff. Yeah, which I think that's so good that you're sharing it because I, when it happens, <clears throat> you know, to me, I think, oh, I'm, I must be the only one that experiences this. And I think for everyone listening in, to recognize that is a, like, that is so normal to to experience that kind of underselling of yourself um what what like if you could go back what would you have done what would you do differently in that situation i would have spoken up first and kept the conversation going where i thought it needed to go in my mind there was not a right or wrong but it was just a delay of game basically delay of play and i would have jumped in and not hesitated to say what I thought the the natural next thing to say was. Hmm. So you actually had a sense of where it should go and mm-hmm. what you should say. Okay. Yes. Yes. And actually Mike and I debriefed after and he agreed with me. He said, I, I agree that, that that would have been the right thing to do. And what are you taking from this? And I said, don't doubt myself. I I, I need to, if I've got that instinct, then I need to jump in. And that's so foundational to tendency too. the nurture choir voice is going to hesitate is this the right time it's definitely putting that wall down and and trusting yourself to have the the lead in the conversation okay yeah that's a good example um think back i mean let's let's keep going with that because as i'm you know we have this audience out there that's listening in and they're in in the same place you were when you were in that room with with mike opadal and facilitating that meeting like what else would you coach yourself if you could go back into that room what would you say to yourself um in terms of your own growth as as a giant i remember feeling a lot of worry that i was going to run out of material um not in that particular meeting but let's say when you're at the lick log delivering what you've sold um showing up and having your workshop or whatever it is. And I I would over prepare, over plan, have way more tools, have way more exercises, way more everything than you could possibly do in a reasonable amount of time. And instead of slow walking through the concept, I would try to make sure I covered everything I had planned and short circuit people's opportunity to engage and think deeply. I think Silence was scary to me. I I never wanted to run out of the next thing to say. And if I could go back to those early days, I would say, Amy, trust the power. We say all the time, let the tools do the heavy lifting. Let a few few tools do the heavy lifting and and trust the power of what those principles are. It's uh, that that was, I think, something that I would definitely want to do differently. Oh man, <laughs> there's so much we could talk about there. Like, I Have kind you ever of felt that? like the rushing. I've got to tell you all ten tools really fast so you can be wowed by their power. But don't ask me to unpack it at a deep level because then you'll see that I'm a fraud. That's really what was behind it was that fear. <laughs> oh wow! So if you have a 15 second playback on your uh, podcast player, hit it right now and listen to what Amy just said like several times in a row because <laughs> that's so good. Like. That is so true. And 
we live in this illusion that the best thing we have to offer is what we have to say. And that's just not true. It's not. Like it, if it was, if it was that good, just record, just record a video and send it to them. Like, really, is that the best thing you have to offer? Or better yet, just have play a video and don't like just have Jeremy say it or, or Steve or whoever. But that's not the best thing you have to offer. The best thing you have to offer is you, right? I mean, I, I say that all the time on guidelines, but you just illustrated it so beautifully. Well, I was thinking about what you just said, and I think it is what we do. We're not just delivering content. We're facilitating transformation, and you can't help somebody change how they see themselves without slowing down and, and not being afraid of being on the leading edge of those conversations. And I, I think that was the thing that was so scary to me is that what if I do it the wrong way? And what, what if I don't know the answer? And really it's not about you having the answer. It's about you giving people the context to wrestle with that themselves. Okay. Hit, hit 15 second playback again and listen. <laughs> I'm just going to keep teeing you up, Amy, because it, this this is next level for all of you listening in. This is and and what's what's interesting is like I've known this for years, I've done it for years, but like I'm having this renaissance of what you're saying in my own work where like I'm working with a group that I've been working with for a couple several years now, pre-covid, still working with them. And I have been doing tools and taking them through tools and what's interesting is I've switched gears and now we're going through the leadership audit. So I'm giving them an opportunity to discuss at table. This is about a group of about 50 people. Um, discuss at their tables, where are you at on the five metrics of high-performing teams? So the first, this first session I walked in and I was like, same as you, I'm like, I'm like eight tools deep or something. I'm ready to go. I've got everything packed. And I turned them loose on communication and it was like a feeding frenzy had taken over because mm -hmm. it was no longer me up there yammering and going through tools. It was simply teeing up some questions and then letting the leadership audit do its work. I literally couldn't get them to stop talking. Like it was 70 minutes of feeding frenzy. and. That was such a great reminder for me to go, Andrew, it's not what you say, it's who you are. Mm -hmm. And if if I'm honest, part of the reason that I'm so inclined to focus on going through the t teaching and and talking is because it gives me a sense of personal satisfaction that I did something. Mm -hmm. If all I'm doing is like teeing up a question and then watching the process happen, oh, I don't, I don't feel like I'm doing anything, which then can take, you know, that can tap all sorts of insecurities, um, pride, things like that. So, but that's not why we're there. Mm -mm. No. And that, that's a, an easy thing to lose the thread of early on because it, it you really are going around the apprenticeship square, developing others. You know, it's you go from this place of not knowing anything to discovering the magic and the mystery and the possibility of giant. And then you get busy learning it so that you can help other people discover it. And 
there are many times when I have found myself in, in early days in between the second and third square of the second and third side of that square and questioning, do I, do I have what it takes to get people where they need to go? Are they going to learn things the way they're supposed to all those oughts and shoulds? And you can quickly find yourself in the pit of despair if you're not careful. Mm. And that's the thing I would love to have helped my earlier self avoid. Yeah, avoid. Say, say, what exactly would you want to have helped your earlier self avoid? Well, just the, having a realistic expectation that you are not going to be perfect, no matter how much you have practiced delivering. You have to respond in the moment, and some person's going to have something odd or difficult or compelling to say, and you're not going to have a script for that. So, mm. so much of this is being present in the moment and recognizing that you're not going to nail it all of the time. And that's, that's not the point. The point is that you're helping people at a fundamental place in their lives. And some days you're going to nail it and some days you're not, but it's not about being perfect. It is about being present. I think. Yeah. Huge takeaway. Yeah. Being present. I'll take that over perfect any day, but there's that part of me that feels like I need to be perfect. Oh yeah. And about, oh gosh, probably early 2000s when I was a practicing therapist, I had a teenager come in who was in the midst of a horrible divorce situation. Um, I don't need to go into detail, but he showed up in my office and we were having a, a conversation and his answers started getting further and further apart. And I sat back and I was like, Maybe he doesn't need to talk right now. And I just allowed for silence. And after a couple minutes, he literally fell asleep. And for like a half an hour, 45 minutes, I just sat there in silence. And he woke up when it was, when the session was over and the, oh God, this is getting me. Mm. Um, the first thing that out of his out of his mouth was like thank you and mm -hmm. i was like oh that's what he needed that's that was it and i love this cuz you're helping me remember prepare preparations is necessary but when you walk into that room it's it's all about being present it's all about paying attention to what's going on in the room and or like if you're focused on the product it's going to get in the way of being present mm. and and that's the work right that's the shift that we have to take when we walk in the room so that's brilliant well it's it was the thing that held me back tremendously in the early days and i, I saw this may be a ding on my credibility but i was watching tiktok <laughs> some time ago <laughs> and there was a there's a lot of leader development stuff in my feed because that's what I do. But there was a guy talking about how a lot of people think if you're not happy, something's wrong. And, you know, you you're married a while, you reach a spot, spot where maybe you're not happy. Well, there must be something wrong with my marriage. And no, they're just when you've got aging parents and young kids and you're building your job, you're going to have days where you're just not happy. But that doesn't mean something's broken. And the corollary to me there is that when we are doing 
the really important work that we're doing, helping people understand fundamental truths so that they can perpetuate healthy culture in every context that's lived out. It is not about it being perfect. In fact, if you are imperfect, that's actually sometimes better than, than hitting the nail on the head because the same way not happy doesn't mean broken, an imperfect delivery doesn't mean somebody hasn't gotten something valuable and you don't know what people are sitting with. You never know what one thing you say in a particular way that may be off script, how that's going to hit them or resonate and allow a little seed of something good to germinate. And I think that's a really helpful reminder as well that, because uh, I, I always go away and score my performance. Mm -hmm. And I mean, how many times have you gone away? Like I've done a keynote and I'll be like, oh, that, that was like a, that was a C on like maybe. Mm -hmm. And then you have people come up afterwards and they're like, that was like, this changed my, or they'll, they'll like see you a year later. And like, I remember you doing this and it's like, really? So it's not about us. I mean, that's the, that's the bottom line. It's not about me. It's about them. They're the hero of the story. I'll tell you a secret. I don't score my performance anymore. I gauge people's emotional disposition at the end of something. Did somebody cry? I love to make people cry. <laughs> not, not in a mean kind of way, but I, if somebody has been moved to tears, they've really experienced something. Um, if people stick around on the breaks, because they've got something they want to ask you that they they're dying to talk to you about and they need a minute or after the session is over, or they're emailing you after to ask more questions. That's my gauge. If I did the right thing or not. <laughs> and, and here again, our, our difference in voice order shows itself. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Gosh, I so want to be like you, Amy. You know, it's well, like right back at you. <laughs> I want I want people to I want people to feel that way after after I speak, but I don't know if it's in the cards. Um, <laughs> I no, because I, I I seriously like I've co-presented with you know oh like nurturers and and it it's like afterwards I'm like gosh why can't I why can't I you know. <laughs> harness that magnetism of people just like like i said people well, just thank you. being drawn to your your safety but um, you know that's also part of this is seeing what you admire in somebody else and figuring out how to internalize some of that i love listening to you we were in a meeting yesterday and it was masterful the way you led our conversation everything from the way you prepared us to the way you kept us moving through the mechanics of what we were talking about and you just do it in a, a very easy, affable, relevant kind of way. And it feels clean and it feels I always walk away from things that you've been responsible for thinking how much I appreciate your clear communication and the way you see the big picture and laser focus us back on that. And so there are things that isn't it great that we get to do that oh, yeah. with each other? No, it, it is. It's I mean just the contrast is, is, uh, yeah, it, it I, I learned so much from the different people like you. It's just like, I, you know, and that, that's why it's like, I think it's honestly, it's probably the competitive part of me. That's like, Oh, I, I need to be more like Amy. I know I can do it. And it's like, <laughs> come on, man, who are you fooling? It's like, 
Oh, so no, that's a ton of, ton of good takeaways. Um, well, Amy, I, I'm also aware that you and I could probably just keep going for another hour or two. Um, there's so much we can talk about, but, um, I want to be sensitive to your time and, and, uh, but just thank you so much for all your contributions and, and, and your insights. Well, thank you for asking all these questions. It, it's really good to reflect on why you are where you are. And these questions are for our guide audience, but it actually is energizing and helpful for me to think about why I am where I am and where am I going. And I, I think we're never, we never graduate from the school of self-awareness and we never graduate from the opportunity to continue learning. So this is really helpful to me to be thinking about these things too. Yeah. And that's a great point. Um, there's everyone's in the same boat, right? And we're all in this together. So that's That's a great reminder. Yeah. Well, thanks, Amy. Appreciate it. Thanks for having me. Well, another incredible conversation, um, wrapping up episode 26. I don't know about you, but tons of takeaways from the conversation with Amy. Um, if you're taking notes, things like paying attention to your unconscious competence and actually really listening to that and giving it a voice and trusting that. Uh, I think also the tension between that imitate uh, before you innovate. And I think the solution, as I was thinking more about it, is to individuate. And imitation is good, but I think individuation is really where we want to end up. And then the final piece on process. Oh my goodness. Um, if you could, I'm I, I, like, go back and listen to that over and over because that is so like, that is so next level. Um, and, and I'm talking to myself here that I've got to remember that, 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 that we need to prepare in, in service of the process. Don't prepare in service of a product. People deserve more than that. All right. Thanks again for listening in. As always, just want to take a second and draw your attention back to you. How are you doing? Um, let's use the peace index. Where are you at um, on the peace index? What are you doing to to work with yourself on that? Just asking the question makes me reflect a little bit on, about some things I need to do um, for the rest of the week, just to be caring for myself so that I can give uh, knowing that I cannot give what I don't possess. So again, thanks for listening in. Until next time, take care, everyone. Yeah.